Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Welcome to the Maximum Mom podcast. I am so excited today, right after Thanksgiving, to have Bridget Bennett join me. Bridget is the founder of the Bennett Law Center in Groveland, Florida, and she focuses exclusively on immigration and business law with an emphasis on removal defense waivers and family and humanitarian cases. Welcome, Bridget. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Well, first, tell us a little bit about your family. Who makes your mom? Tell us who's in your home so we can get to know you a little bit. Okay, so I have, well, I'm married. I've been married for about 22 years. We have a total of three children, my stepdaughter, but she's she's 30. So she's, she's a grown adult. And I have um, Brianna, who is almost 20. Oh, my God. In three weeks, she'll be 20. Wow. And I have Stephen, who is a senior in high school, and he will be 18 in January. And I have one fur baby, Ginger. That is awesome. Well, you are getting close to empty nest life, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. That's pretty excited. Are you and your husband like getting all ready? Are you like coming up with all the things you <laughs> think you're going to do as an empty nester? No, it's a little scary, actually, thinking about it. We've always traveled with the kids. So, you know, it's never stopped us from traveling and exploring and things of that nature. So it'd be kind of weird. So I don't know what to expect. I don't know if I'll be uber happy or uber sad. Probably a little bit of both, I would imagine. Yeah, I think that's very typical. I mean, I am kind of a new empty nester, you know, within the last year or so. And it definitely was a mix of super happy and super sad. But also, I think the thing that was so striking to me is I kind of had this thought and God knows where I got this thought, but I had this thought that somehow when my kids went off to school or they were out of my house, that I would kind of like have more freedom in the sense of not going and doing things, but not being so responsible all the time, like not having people like watching me, you know, like looking at how am I maintaining the house? Am I putting my dishes in the dishwasher. Am I, do you know what I mean? Kind of modeling all that behavior that I feel like we parents spend a lot of time. I mean, some of us, you know, 20, 30 years of parenting, modeling this behavior. Well, I don't know what I thought. I just thought somehow I was going to get to be my wild, crazy old self and leave dishes on the counter and, you know, do whatever. It doesn't work like that. These kids are around, like they show up, they pop in, they call, they're FaceTiming, they're needing this and that and the other. And, you know, I'll be on FaceTime and somebody will be like, where are you? You know, well, that's a mess. And I'm thinking, who are you judging my space? (laughs) That's so funny. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that has been a whole different thing, you know, trying to deal with and, you know, the stuff they need. And you know, this from your daughter, I'm sure it's all of a sudden way bigger. You know, the idea that it's like, you know, mom, I need you to help pick me up at lacrosse practice or whatever. Now it's like, you know, I'm 
you know, withdrawing from this class and I don't know what my major is going to be. And oh my gosh, you know, I went to the wrong school. You know, it's these big life things. Yeah. Now my daughter is, her next thing is studying abroad. And I'm I'm like, Brianna, you are abroad. Yeah, for <laughs> but me. she's going to go to South Korea. Oh, good for, for a semester. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. And now when is she doing that? Is she doing that her sophomore year or junior? Well, she's a sophomore now. Okay. But she actually has enough credits to graduate at the end of next year. Okay. So it would be her fall semester next year. That is going to be an awesome opportunity. I love yeah. that. Yeah. All of she's our really kids have been abroad. They loved it, all different places. And I think that it was a, a really good opportunity for them. The schools make it so easy now for them to go abroad. They do. Yeah, they really do. I mean, they definitely have kind of mastered that science of like getting these kids to go abroad. It's actually pretty impressive. I felt mm-hmm. like I knew nothing. My kids were just like, okay, mom, I'm leaving in three days. I'm going to this country. And I was like, great, bye, see ya. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, they, I mean, literally I had nothing to do with any of it. And so they just somehow managed the whole process. And um, yeah, so that was all good. Um, great. Yeah, that I think is one of the biggest joys, though, of that empty nesting is really watching your kids just be able to do all the things completely on their own, you know, and that's, I think it's both a mix, though, of getting used to not, not being needed. I mean, genuinely just like, you know, as kind of an advisor, sometimes they need you, but the actual logistical things, they just go along about their business. Yeah, that's actually one of my biggest fears. I'm like, did I coddle my kids too much? You know, you want to protect them. Did I protect them too much? So I kind of like the fact that Brianna is far away. She's had to learn to figure things out, learn how to take the bus, get lost all the things, you know, moving on her own. So it's, it's good because I know she's learning life skills. So that was good because that as a parent, that was always one of my things. Did I protect them too much? So that now they're, they don't know anything about living outside of our home. Right. Yeah. That I probably was not as nice a mom as you. I was the opposite. I was like, okay, y'all go do your thing. Like you need to learn all this. And um, if anything, I think I pushed mine too early to do a lot of things and to kind of make them be independent early. Cause I was just like, I I sometimes, you know, I blame the numbers. Like there was a lot and I was just like, okay, I really, I don't have time to, you know, figure out how to get you to a doctor appointment. Like you need to figure out how to make your doctor appointments, your dentist appointments, you know, get places, do things. And so by the time they went to college, I mean, they all were so ready, yeah, to be gone and do their thing. Yeah, it's interesting, though, how different, I mean, different parenting styles, I think, really comes into play. And you see it as kids go off to college, you know, and I think we see it even in gender kids sometimes, like, you know, I I think as a mom of three boys, I've watched many of their friends stand in my laundry room, not knowing how to wash clothes. And my sons are like, come on, guys, you got to know how to wash your clothes. Like, you know, how are you well, gonna... that? Yeah, I'm not that mom. Like, I don't cook a whole lot. So my kids <laughs> had to learn how Brianna doesn't cook, but she knows how to make a good sandwich. Right. <laughs> Even 
Now he likes to eat, so he needed to learn how to cook. So he makes a lot of steaks. He's really good at that. They both know how to do laundry. They are spoiled. We do have a cleaning lady that comes once a week. So, you know, I don't kill them about keeping their rooms clean, but they know how. Right. And they know what a clean house looks like. So things like that. But I think more on life stuff. I'm like, they didn't really have an exposure to a whole lot of the hardship that I went through being, you know, um, an immigrant coming, you know, I was the one to learn a lot about how the system works and helping my parents and things of that nature. I went away to school when I was 14 for high school. So I've always been, you know, out there doing my thing. So I'm like, man, do they, would they be able to survive? And I guess so. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about, I mean, how did your immigrant story turn into you practicing immigration law? Well, coming to America has always been a dream of mine. You know, I bought all the Kool-Aid when I was a kid (laughs) and People don't realize when you're outside of America, you hear all of these things, you see these images and you want to be a part of that. So I've always had this desire to be here. And my dad immigrated first. And then, you know, after a couple of years, he was able to bring me and my mom. So I came when I was nine and just had the immigrant experience. Most immigrants land in New York, right? So that's where we were. And growing up on an island and landing on February 28th, 1988 in a snowstorm was pretty new for me. (laughs) So it was like, oh, my God. You know, I I remember coming and seeing the wonder. It was like, oh, my God. It was just this wonder of wow and playing in the snow and all that. So I, I enjoyed my time, but always stayed in touch with the immigrant community. So when I went off to Georgetown, which is diverse, but it's not an HBCU. (laughs) So the opportunities for my kind of parties, listening to reggae music were few and far between. So I actually used to go and go to parties at Howard University, which wasn't that far away in D.C. So I went to one of their homecomings and that's when I met my husband. He was on an immigration visa, like an entertainer visa. And he was the guest DJ at that particular event. And funny, my roommate at the time was friends (laughs) with his manager. So that's how we got to know each other. And he overstayed that visa, meaning that, you know, he was granted a certain amount of time to stay and he didn't chose not to go back. So with that in mind, that ensued a 10-year period of immigration trauma. That's what I'll call it. Yeah. We spent over $30,000, three different attorneys. Eventually, he was placed in removal or deportation proceedings with two young kids. And it was just a horrible period of time. And with the experience that we had, I just thought, you know, there is a purpose for my pain. And I always knew I was going to be an attorney or wanted to be an attorney. When I was a kid in Jamaica, my nickname was Parrot because I talk so much. (laughs) And I was always asking questions and I was a little nerd, you know. But after I graduated from Georgetown, I've been in school since I was two. 
Right. And I'm like, I'm tired of school. I just want to work. I want to live. So right after school, we got married. Two years later, started a family and I just wanted to work. Right. And so I went into corporate America. I was very happy. We were able to buy our first home despite all of his immigration issues. And we, you know, we, we had a nice life. So for six years, I was in corporate America, but then life happened and my mom moved to Florida and got very, very sick. We didn't know if she was going to make it. And so I wanted to be close by. I'm the eldest child for her. So we sold our house, moved down, and that's when he was actually placed in removal proceedings. Mm -hmm. And with all of that, I decided I didn't want to be in corporate America anymore. And I decided to quit my job and, and go to law school. So from 2008, I was out of school for eight years. 2008 to 2011, I went to school full time. He took care of the kids, did most of that stuff, along with help from my mom and sisters and extended family and church, you know, to, to kind of, that was a big sacrifice. So oh, yeah. that's how I ended up in immigration. And um, when I finished law school in 2011, sat for the bar and passed, I just wanted a job. I'm like, okay, I've tried broke. I don't like it. So let's find a real job. And it was kind of the tail end of the recession and people still weren't really hiring. Right. So I opened up my own immigration firm and 11 years later, here we are. That is amazing. What a story. I mean, the trauma though, I, I mean, I love that you actually call it out for what it is. I mean, that was serious trauma that your family went through. Oh yeah, for sure. But it also makes me very relatable. Um, I don't share the story with all of potential clients, but sometimes there are a few people that just need some hope because our situation was pretty hopeless wow. and we we got through it. You know, it was it was hard. It was very difficult not knowing is he going to get deported? What's going to happen to our family? So sometimes I share that in, as a way of encouraging someone else or inspiring them. So it's nice when you've sat in the other side of the seat. So that actually worked in our favor because I could actually really relate to people. Totally. I mean, yeah. that's just amazing. Now, your immigration practice, I mean, immigration is a federal practice, but you're in Florida, correct? I mean, your mm -hmm. office is in Florida, but you represent people all around the country? Yes, all over the world. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. And do you focus at all on a particular, like, do you focus on Jamaica or any particular area or is it just all, all people, all immigration? I've never done immigration, so I'm always fascinated by the practice. Well, I think a combination of blessings and luck. And so where my mom lives, it turns out that there is a very heavy Mexican population here. And I just happen to be like my daughter loving languages. So I studied Spanish for 12 years, didn't speak it after I graduated college. But with that said, I, you know, I had some Spanish there. It was a little rusty because, you know, it was 11 years later, but I picked it up. So the majority of my clientele, I would say probably 80% are from Spanish speaking countries, heavy Mexican population, and they've kind of adopted me. They're like la morena que habla español. You know, the brown girl who speaks Spanish or the black lady who speaks Spanish. So they've, they, in, in fact, some of my clients, they call me Jamexican-American. So I'm Jamaican, Mexican, and American. 
I love that. That is awesome. Yeah. And I do have a good amount of uh, Caribbean clients as well. Because uh, I know, you know, lots of people. I've I've done a little bit of a rebrand um, as the reggae visa lawyer. Yeah. You know, my husband has a lot of connections in the industry, so I'm able to work with artists and entertainers who want to get that kind of visa that he had um, to come here and tour and perform. So I do that branding to bring that population in. Two years ago, I purchased a business immigration law practice. And so from that practice, I have a lot of Chinese clients that do the investment visas. So I kind of have a a pretty big mix. Yeah, you sure do. I love that. Now, are you personally still practicing law or do you have a team? I mean, what does your firm look like? Well, it's 14 of us as of today because I got me an executive assistant. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh, that's game changing. Oh my gosh. I've been waiting for the right person, trying to find the right person. And I think I found her. So I'm I'm very happy with that. But we kind of grew up. We kind of grew up. So with 14 people, I am the CEO or I aspire to be the CEO. I'm still also director of legal services and I still practice a little bit. My goal is to fill that director of legal services so that I don't have to practice. I'll just take on a couple of cases here or there because running a firm, you know, with one or two staff members and practicing that was doable, but with 14 people, it is, I cannot practice. It's just, I cannot. Right. So I really spend or try to spend a lot of my time on business development systems. I've grown a lot with Law Firm Mentor with Allison Williams, who you probably had on your podcast at some point. So I'm in that journey. So we have our finance and administration department. I don't, Marina takes care of everything, finance and bills and admin. And, you know, eventually we'll have an HR person because we're big enough for that. Oh, yeah. It's myself and um, one other attorney but I'm very close to getting that big position filled with another senior attorney, which will be game changing. And then we have our sales and marketing team, which is two people. I think I probably still need one more person there to kind of round things out. So that's where we are. So we're kind of a medium sized firm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a lot of growth though that you've been dealing with. I mean, that's a lot of busyness that you've had. Yes. Has immigration, how does the business of immigration work like during COVID and then now as we're kind of going into a recession, does immigration kind of not ebb and flow with that? Or what does that look like for immigration? Immigration is just awful. The pandemic made it worse in the sense of backlogs. Mm -hmm. So I, the other day we had a, a legal team meeting and we were talking about our bread and butter cases, which are immigration waivers, extreme hardship waivers. Mm-hmm. And when I was practicing years ago, a full case of that would be like a year and a half and you'd be done. Right now, these cases are about five years, five to six years. So financially, I'm looking at, okay, I'm still charging as if this case is going to take a year and a half, two years, and now we're double or triple 
that amount. So besides the laws, the immigration laws needing reform and just being dumb, um, we're dealing with government stuff. We're dealing with backlogs. During COVID, the USCIS, who adjudicates the green cards and citizenship and work permits and things of that nature, they lost 25% of their workforce. So that's 4,000 employees. Oh my, wow. So things that would take a very short time are now just so behind and that leads to a lot of client frustrations. They're, why is it taking so long? And we we have the same answers. They're short-staffed, it's immigration. We've done our part of the work, but now we've had to really try to service these clients and get them to understand that it is now out of our hands. But I mean, clients are not really understanding of that. They think it's the lawyer's fault. Right. But I, I mean, try to yeah, yeah, managing those client expectations has to be really tricky. It is. And and that can impact morale because, you know, we're getting irate people when you, you haven't done anything wrong and it's just the holdup. So the immigration process, the laws are just terrible. And it's not just for one group of people. It's for everyone. So we have clients on the business side who want to invest in the United States and create businesses. We have people investing a million dollars into a project that want to get their residents and green cards. And those processes take 10 to 11 years and they're creating 10 American jobs. So it's like, why are we shutting these people out? It doesn't make sense. Wow. So I'm a big proponent of immigration reform because things just don't make sense right now. Right. Sometimes our hearings, I have hearings set out in 2025 for a first hearing. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. Wow. 2025. That's amazing. Oh, my. It's crazy. It's insane. I can't even imagine what managing those client expectations would look. I mean, that is it's almost I would think. I mean, as an attorney, it feels hard to understand, you know, and only imagine what a client would feel being told. Yeah, well, here's your hearing date, you know, in April 2025. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. Oh, wow. That is fascinating. The Gilda's Maximum Lawyers community of lawyer entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you will build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country four times per year. And in 2023, we've added a half-day workshop to each mastermind where you'll learn new skills while working on improving systems and aspects of your personal firm. Then take the hot seat on day two and work through your most pressing challenge. It's all inside the Guild. To learn more, visit maxlawguild.com. I would love to switch and pivot a little bit and talk to you about, I mean, I know that you have kind of a big emphasis on education and you really believe in, you know, education as being an important part. I mean, not only in the immigration world, but, you know, otherwise, I mean, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on education and how can education really help what we're facing today? Yeah. So 
I'm a big proponent of education because I do believe that knowledge is power. I believe that immigrants are a very vulnerable population and there are a lot of unscrupulous people out there. They're called notarios, notarios, meaning notary. And so in other countries, a notary is actually a licensed attorney. So a lot of times immigrants, when they get here, and they see a notary, they think it's an attorney. And these notaries, they will represent themselves like, oh, I can do your immigration paperwork. And then they screw things up. People get removed. People get in a lot of problems. So we do a lot of um, seminars in the communities. Haven't done much, you know, since COVID. But we go out to churches, schools, daycare centers, wherever, and we really and truly sit down and just an hour I talk, I'm like, okay, these are certain options. If you're a victim of a crime, if you're a victim of domestic violence, here's what you need to know. Not everyone can be helped. I think just being a truth speaker and unfortunately we turn away a lot of people. There's just, if there's nothing, I'm not going to invent something because I feel sorry for you, Um, which is hard because I want to help everyone. But just getting out there and sharing information, people are like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, did you know that if you are, you may be the victim of human trafficking, no one goes around and says, I'm the victim of human trafficking. But we can have conversations to find out how are you being treated at work? How did you come to the United States? Like all of those things. So we plant seeds into people's minds so they understand what options are out there and what not to believe how do you know this person's a licensed attorney are they an attorney you know so just kind of building uh, some trust within the community i think that's very important i also try to do the same with law enforcement a lot of times the immigrant community is is fearful particularly those that are undocumented that they if 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 i'm um undocumented woman or mom, and I'm, I'm a victim of domestic violence, a lot of times they are afraid to call because I don't want to lose my children. I don't want them to pick me up. So a lot of crime goes unreported. So I actually just had a conversation with the chief of police in my town. I'm like, yeah, I would like to be able to work with you because and, and do a training for you guys. How are you treating immigrants when you respond to a call? You know, are you re, are your people re-traumatizing? You know, are they building an understanding of fear some of these people have? You know, what can we do to work together? So not just education on the client side, but on the community side as well. Gosh, I love that. That is such an important thing. I would think there's a lot of room for education amongst just your average, you know, patrol guy who's off like, answering a call um, who might not have any insight into the trauma that this person has gone through, even to make the call at all. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, I, that is really wonderful. I love that you're doing that. Um, that's you. awesome. Yeah. I mean, my one foray into immigration was I worked and did a U visa for um, a lady. And when I lived in Minnesota, you know, just, it was like a, a pro bono kind of project thing that nice and um yeah and it was awesome and when she got approved and I had to go to her house to give her the notice and give her everything you know like she didn't come to my office or whatever and I actually had one of my children with me at the time he was pretty young 
And so when I was there and he was sitting in the car and I was like explaining this to her. And I mean, she just kind of lost it. She was so excited, you know, just like thrilled and just so grateful. And my son was just like, at first he was like, what happened? Like, why is she crying? <laughs> you know, and then he's like, but she's like happy crying. And I was like, she's definitely happy crying. But it made you, it made me just realize how truly impactful immigration law is. Like, I mean, really impactful. Mm-hmm. And so you're familiar with the U visa cases. There's such a backlog on those. They're taking seven years right now just to get a response. What? Because there are only 10,000 U visas available per year. And once those are used up, then you have to wait till the next year and just it piles up and piles up. Seven years. Mm -hmm. Six to seven years. I think we just got one from 2016. Our 2016 cases are just coming approved. Amazing. Wow. They need to do some serious hiring there, don't they? They are, and that's creating other problems. So, for example, now these untrained people, they're sending silly requests for evidence. They don't know the legal standards. So that is coming with other things. Oh, yeah, I bet. I I would imagine that. Yeah. Okay. Well, lastly, we're going to pivot to something nice. We're going to talk about self-care and how kind of, you know, you can reboot using vacations. I know you are a major travel person. Tell us a little bit about your travel, what you're doing with travel now. I mean, and just tell us about your travel. So for me, travel is life. I am a natural explorer. I love history. I love learning about different cultures. I just I just love it. I love being out in nature. I love mountains. I know I'm an island girl, but I love my mountains. I love hiking. We just did Machu Picchu with six other amazing attorneys. But for me, that's my gift to myself. And I actually struggle with it because people are like, oh, you're always traveling. You're always gone. I'm like, yeah, but you don't see me always working right? This is what I do for myself. And so instead of shrinking back from the few who will say, oh, she's always traveling to saying, no, this is important to me. I'm not a fancy dresser. I have a nice home, but I'm not, I would rather rack up frequent flyer miles and stuff in my house. That's just who I am. And I'm just being okay with that. So what I do is whether it's a speaking engagement or attending a conference, I will choose based on destination. So I want to go to different places and then I'll tack on a day or two. So even though I'm working, maybe, you know, I've been going to San Diego a lot because I have a client out there. So I go to work, but I enjoy San Diego and I might take a trip down to TJ, to Tijuana. Um, So I actually combine a lot of work and pleasure at the same time. So on the cruise, Monday through Wednesday, the office was open. And so I took, you know, three hours a day and I got some work done. And the rest of the time, I I felt good to enjoy. So a lot of times I just kind of combine. Very rarely do I really have full time off. So travel for me is my self-care. I love that. I do love how you balance it, though. I mean, I I always call it life work integration. And I feel like Mm. if I 
by doing that, by having those three hours, you know, a day on your cruise, you're able to integrate what you like. I mean, what you need to do, maybe a client needs you or your office needs you. And that's great. But then be able to enjoy your time as well. I think it is. I sometimes feel like people want such a demarcation between, you know, what their life is and what their work is. And I find as a business owner, it's not always possible to draw that hard line. And a lot of times being more flexible about integrating the two and like you're doing where you're traveling and then you're adding on days to do things, you know, with a work trip. But I mean, accepting that, that you can do both, I think is really opens the possibilities up so much more. Yeah, I think that's one of the ways to achieve work-life balance, because I think that's such a fallacy, especially for women business owners. Um, I don't think there is such a thing as work-life balance. Yeah. Um, and, you know, being the, 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 the podcasts you have, the truth of the matter is I have sacrificed time with my children, with my husband. I do get the mom guilt. Um, so when we do, that's why I take my kids on trips. Yeah. I think they've been to over 20 countries already, you know, but that's our time together. Mm-hmm. And they know mommy works to travel. So yeah. we all can travel. But I just don't like this work-life balance. I think it's very hard to be very successful at all of it. So I do hope that my children feel that they've gotten enough of me. And then when we have our time together, we have our time. It might not be, we definitely don't sit down and have dinner together. We're not that kind of family. Mm-hmm. Never have been. We're on the go, right. you know, between work, sports, band, all this stuff. There's just so much going on. So we've never had that kind of life. I know I've sacrificed time with, with my husband. I just hope it's, it's worth it for everyone. But there there are sacrifices that have to be made. And that's just one of the cold, hard facts about being an attorney, about owning your firm. It's not a job that we can just go home and let it go. Not at all. Yeah. Well, I find sometimes, I mean, I find myself chuckling. You know, I'll read something online and somebody will be like, well, I'm going to go start my own firm so that I work less and I have more freedom. And I'm like, oh gosh, I was like, this person needs to talk to somebody and get some real insight before they think they're about to enter this panacea of less work and more freedom. Because I'm like, I mean, the reality is, and I know you have dealt with it as well. I mean, it's an 80 hour a week job, many, many, many weeks of, you know, when you're starting your firm and you're doing all the things, there is a lot of work that goes into owning a law firm. It's so true. It's so true. And I I agree with you. I think that people think it's all that and a bag of chips. Yeah. The grass looks greener, but the water bill is higher. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There is such a great book. I mean, I would love for you and our listeners to, it's called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. And I just read it recently. And it is about the finitude of our lives and the reality that most people have 4,000 weeks to live. Like, you know, that's kind of the premise of the book. But it is all about accepting that you cannot do it all. Like, get over that thought. Like, just let it the F go. I mean, 
let it go completely. And once you can come to terms with the fact that you cannot do it all, then really prioritizing what do you not want to do? Like prioritize all the stuff that does not matter to you. Like in your world, you know, maybe sitting down, having these elaborate dinners every night with kids. Maybe that wasn't something that mattered. You know what I mean? Like you, you're better off working, planning, so you can take some amazing trip that you all are going to remember. I mean, everybody has different priorities, but it was such a powerful read. I cannot tell you. I mean, and I, just I feel like down. I read hundreds of books and this one literally stopped me in my tracks. I was like, this is a really good thing to get our heads around because like you said, I think all of us are built in this idea that we're trying to get to some work-life balance and we're trying to get to some place in life when everything is going to be calm and right. It's just not going to happen. Like, you know, it's just everybody has things that are going on, problems, cycles of problems. You know what I mean? Just all the things. It's so interesting um, this morning as I was um, speaking with, doing a little orientation with my um, new executive assistant. I'm so excited to keep saying that. I wrote down joy in the journey. And that's something that I'm going to take with me into 2023. I think that's going to be my mantra because we do always, at least for me, I'm always, oh, getting to the next place, getting to this, getting to that. And this, you know, right now where my building is under construction and I'm like, when it's done, I'll be happy. When it's done, I can do this. You know, when I get my assistant, my life is going to be great. When, you know, and it's always, I'm trying to get to the next thing. And I'm like, no, I need to find joy in the journey. So even though I'm a very driven person, I'm ambitious. I can still find joy and contentment and in happiness as I make progress towards those things. And that's been a huge challenge for me. So I'm definitely going to add this book to my list because I think it it goes along with what you just talked about. Well, and I don't know if you have read that book called The Gap and the Gain. Have you read that book? Oh, you would find, based on what you just said, you would find that book. I was going to see if I have it really handy. I forget who wrote it. It might have been, he's, I'm not a huge fan of his, but um, Dan Stevens, it might have been him. It is so powerful because I, like you, am exceedingly ambitious, constantly looking ahead. And I was never satisfied, ever, ever, ever. Like, and it's all about, so when you're like that, when you're looking ahead, there's always gaps. So there's always problems, you know, and you're, the minute you get close to one of your goals to hitting it, you move the goalpost. You're like, oh, okay, well, I'm building my building now. Now I'm going to open an office in another state or I'm going to whatever, you know what I mean? Where you're just constantly moving the goalpost. So you're always in a gap. Well, and it talks about how you must intentionally take time to look at where you've come from and look at Uh the gains you've made because you can spend all your time just chasing the next thing and you never stop and say, oh my gosh, like I graduated from law school with little kids. I started a law firm. I, you know, grew a law firm. I hit whatever revenue goal you might've had. Do you know what I mean? Like all the things you have accomplished 
And I bet like you and me, we probably both, if we look at our list, it's a bunch of what we haven't done rather than what we have. Celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. The success. Yeah. And I mean, it is literally for the last two years, that has been something that I've been really trying to change and really focusing on because I mean, I can just plain drive myself crazy with all the problems and the things I need to fix and the, you know, this and the that. And I rarely just look backwards and say, oh, you did that pretty good. Like, you know, and so I really would encourage that book. It's it's a super easy read, but wow, has it, and it, it gives you that vocabulary, you know, when you're finding yourself constantly in the gap. And I don't know about you, but it's something I do to others too. Like my team, I'll be looking at their gap rather than their gain. And that's not fair. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a good, that's good. I wrote down those two books. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. I wish I had read them as a younger mom, but um, because I'm like, I probably did the same thing to my children, you know, where I was like, oh, well, why haven't you done this, this and this? And I mean, instead of looking at what they had done and even more importantly, asking them, like, do you even want to do this, this, and this, you know, whatever I'm thinking matters, like, you know, really stepping back and trying to let your kids have agency. Yeah, there, there's a lot to be had in this conversation. You and I could have a whole nother conversation. <laughs> On that, yeah. Absolutely. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your time today and sharing with us. I really am grateful to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much. This was fun. I wasn't quite sure, you know, what to expect, but this was great. It's just a conversation between moms and business owners and attorneys. And I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you for having me. Yeah, well, thank you. And very much good luck with your building and all the waiting for it to be finished. When should it get done? (sighs) Should have been done last week, but... Definitely by the end of the year. Like if we get through this week strong, which we will, we are probably 90%. So we're, we're closer. That's so I'm hoping in like two to three weeks we'll be done. Are y'all planning like a party or something? January 7th. Awesome. I love, well, then for sure it's going to be done by then. I mean, that's when the party is. Yes, it must I love that. We must be in this building by the end of the year. That is so exciting. Well, it's been so fun to watch you and to see this just come alive. I mean, I'm like, wow, look at her go. I just love that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Do you remember how we met? At Allison, I think. No, at Cleo. No way. Oh, yes. San Diego, and you gave me your ticket. I remember that. Yes, that was so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is awesome. Well, you've always been such a kind person and I was (laughs) so appreciative of that. Oh yeah. Well that, I mean, I'm all about sharing, all about sharing. So I love that. And I know you have been sharing away and paying it forward to people all over the place. So that's all good. Do you still use Clio? I do. I do too. 
Yes. I've always said, Cleo and I, we started off together because they were only about three years old when I started yeah. and they've gone like this and I'm still using it like a baby Cleo user. Me too, unfortunately. But I, we keep getting better, but I'm the same way. We started when Cleo was absolutely in its infancy. And so watching Jack and everything he's done with Cleo, it's pretty powerful. It see. is. And I love their commitment to social justice. I do too. They they put on one of the best conferences, oh, yeah. period. Absolutely. Every year, consistently. Consistently. Yeah, I love that. Well, I'm so glad. Well, thanks again. And I hope you enjoyed the rest of your day. And I hope this week definitely ends up strong with your building work. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Take care, Elise. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.